coming to you from a library basement at Georgetown University. It is Kevin and Zach, and this is CCT. The groundbreaking, still pretty new, podcast by Novus, the academic journal of the Communication, Culture, and Technology program on campus. So we have a very special treat today for our listeners. We have a guest on the show, uh, Shavini Fernando. She's a second-year CCT student and recent recipient of a lot of award money for her development uh, of a wearable medical technology called O2Wear. Um, She's actually graduating in the next couple of weeks, I believe, Uh, and she's here to talk to us about her story and her developments. So welcome, Shavini. Hi, Zach. (laughs) So can you start off by maybe talking a little bit about your early life uh, and kind of what led you down the path to eventually wind up here at Georgetown? Okay, cool. So I'm originally from Sri Lanka, and but I'm all over the place because I have my bachelor's in from UK and I have two masters from Australia. Wow. And but. I never wanted to live anywhere, so I always finish the thing and I go back to Sri Lanka. I'm like, you can say, I'm like a very homely person. Hmm. I'm very proud of Sri Lanka, so I don't want to leave the place. <laughs> and nice. um, But I'm a hippie, so I travel a lot. And then, so I have my undergrad in computer science and I have an MBA and I have my master's in computer science, which is incomplete because I have two classes to do because I got an awesome job to lecture at the Australian University. So I took that because they were paying me $20,000. So I didn't want to pay 20000 and study when I can get paid 20000 yeah. to my hand. Very cool. Seems like a good deal. Yeah. Yes. What did you teach there? So I taught uh, management information systems and professional communication for undergrads hmm, cool. for six years. Nice. It's just fun. Yeah? Do you see yourself going back into teaching someday, or is that just like you got it out of your system and, and now it's over, you're done? I love teaching because I think I'm good at that because I can get to a person's level and, like, teach from their level of thing. I don't know. I, I'm very good at that. Like, I, I'm very good at explaining things to people, so I love doing that, and I really enjoyed the six years. And it was a lot of fun for me because... Mentally, I'm like around 16, so hanging around with 16 people, maybe that made me stick to 16. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nice. So, I, I think it's a gift to be able to reach people like that and, and connect with them and, and yeah, guide them. It's just, I think it's more about you being a friend with them rather than being their lecturer. You need to mm-hmm. be a friend to them. And it's easy to teach when you're a friend to a person rather than you get one level higher than them. I had peop- students who were like, who are from different abilities and skill levels. And then I also had had a lot of autistic students. Mm. And working with them made me learn a lot. Mm. Because I had to get to their level. Because especially they were neglected. They were, like, treated differently. So I always wanted to make them feel like they belong with everyone. Uh, so it sounds like a lot of your life has been dedicated to helping people, uh, which is very admirable. Um, I love doing that. Yeah, and it sounds like that's what this this technology that you've created is also made to do, is to help people. But it also has more of a personal connection to your life, right? Yes. So I have 
Eisen Minger, which is because I have had a hole in the heart mm-hmm. when I was born, but the doctors didn't diagnose it. So because of that, now my heart has like really damaged. So literally the wall between the two atrium, it has disappeared. I don't have a wall at all now. Hmm. So it's just one atrium in for me. Like while you have four, four sectors, I have only three. Hmm. And because of that, my lungs are like severely damaged. So I, I can, in simple terms, I have a busted pair of lungs and a heart, which needs to, yeah, so I need a new engine eventually. So how long did this go undiagnosed? Was this all through your childhood? Until 2015. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so by the time they diagnose it, it's too late. Hmm. Uh, it's irreversible. So initially they said I will live for two years, but now it's been three years, so I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Um, That's amazing. So, yeah, and yeah, they said first I need to get the transplant also in two years, but now hmm. they're saying I can, at the rate I'm going, I can stay for like 10 years. Wow. Yeah, my doctors think I'm wired in a weird way, which I believe, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're happy about it. Uh, so what are some of the like the effects of this? You you have to wear oxygen, correct? Are, yeah. are there any other kind of side effects that, that go yeah, with that on so, a daily basis? So, uh, so because of that, I have pulmonary hypertension. So it's not just because you have a congenital heart defect, pulmonary hypertension, like people get due to cystic fibrosis, COPD, or maybe if someone has a heart defect like me or some cardiovascular disease or even for reasons like bronchitis and all those, you can get pulmonary hypertension. So pulmonary hypertension is, so every person has two kinds of pressure in their body. One is the normal blood pressure you check when you go to a doctor, which is like once the blood comes out of your heart. And then the other pressure is, the pressure inside your heart and the lungs while it's cleaning the blood. Hmm. So that when, now that pressure is like just 20, which is like, has to be really, really, really low. So a normal person's pressure is 20. And when I got diagnosed, my pressure was 128. Wow. Ah. Yeah, so, and I was fine. I had never passed out. Mm -hmm. I used to be an athlete. I used to be a swimmer. Hmm. And... Because I used to think I used to have asthma and I just did it. All I did was, I have literally tried all the inhalers in the market. (laughs) (laughs) They just kept changing it, saying I have asthma. So I also went along with that. And then for like, after like, when I was in Sydney, which is like around 2007, I started getting palpitations. And then after I went back to Sri Lanka and went to the doctors, they said, I have bad eating habits. I eat all this junk food, street food. And it's like a, it's like gastritis. So then when I was trekking with my friend, he was like, you're going blue. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, your face is blue. I was like, oh, it's a bit chilly maybe because it's cold. He was like, no, your face is blue. Something's wrong with your heart. People go turn blue like that. Oh, no. I was like, yeah, okay. And then he's like, we need to go to a cardiologist. I'm like, let's finish this first and then we'll go That I don't want to stop my holiday halfway. Don't tell me. You finished, you finished the hike? Yeah, we finished everything. Okay. And I stayed there for like three days. And then after I went home, I went to the cardiologist and then... He literally did the whole research and he said, just go to the doctor and say what I feel, 
what I have is not just palpitations. I'm having arrhythmias, and I think something's wrong with my heart because I go blue. So I just went and straight said the same two lines what he told me to say. <laughs> and then after that, so my cardiologist uh, took an echo, and he said he wants to do it himself. So he came, and he did it. And then I could see, like, he's, he put his palm on the forehead, and then he was, like, looking at the echo, like, the screen. I was, like, then I checked the screen, and I could see, like, now in your heart you have, in the echo you can see blue and red. So blue is the oxygenated blood, and, sorry, blue is the deoxygenated blood, and red is the oxygenated blood. So normally in the heart they need to go in their proper path. But in my heart it was, like, the traffic in India, it was going all around. <laughs> Just all, all yeah, together. So oh, I, was, I, I literally, I said the same thing to the doctor. I was like, uh, my heart looks like the blood flow is like the traffic in India. Why do I feel like <laughs> there's a hole in the heart so it's getting mixed up? And he turned, he was like, do you know to read all this? I was like, no, it's like common sense. Like, I can see it's getting mixed. So obviously there has to be a leak somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so there should be a whole hole. And then he was like, okay, just get dressed and come and we'll talk. And then when I went in, he said, yeah, you were right, there's a hole. And then because of that, the pressure is a bit high. And But with the echo, you can't just diagnose it, like read the numbers like that. And so he sent me to Colombo, like, which is to the national cardiology, like the whole, the biggest place in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they did another test, which was the weirdest test I had. They got me to swallow this thing, and then I don't know how they measure it, but it was like, you know, you're choking. And then after that, they wanted to do a right heart cardiac catheterization. And I have no idea what Yeah, that is. so it's like what they do is <laughs> oh, yeah, through okay. your main vein, they send a catheter inside your heart, so they send it through your, like, either they send it through your leg or from your neck. Huh. And then they send it to your main artery in, into your heart. Are you awake for this? So, yeah, the first, <laughs> so now when I went in, at that time, I hated the hospitals. I, I, lit, I was scared of needles. Like, whenever I go to take blood, even if I'm looking away, I could literally sense when the needle comes closer to me. I always keep breaking the needles because I pull my hand as it as they punch. Oh, no. And then, so when I went to the theater, like uh, the operation, the surgical room, I said, you need to just put me out. I don't think I can stay. He's like, yeah, yeah, we are going to just put you, like, just put you to sleep because we can't give you, like, um... I can't give you, like, the general anesthesia because then your oxygen numbers will um, not come out heart, properly. Yeah. It yeah. slows the heart. We need the correct number, so we are just going to put you to sleep and we are going to just do that. Hmm. And then it was the most weirdest experience. Like, most of the people don't believe when I say that. So then why they were doing it? So I, I remember I passed out, right? And then suddenly I woke up. And while that was happening? So when I woke up, I like I could literally hear like the doctors were screaming. That's a terrible thing yeah. to wake up to. And yeah, that's the thing. I woke up and the doctors were screaming. And then he was asking for the adrenaline injections. And then I saw in the screen that my pulse went to four hundred. 
and then the monitor went king like zero right and it's funny because if i'm lying down i need to see the ceiling or in that angle but i saw it in straight view right okay so and then after that they gave the so for the first time the doctor tried to give the adrenaline the needle flew out and everything got thrown because the nurse had got so excited like she didn't put the needle properly and then he screamed at them and then they put it again and they put the catheter through my leg so they were trying to take it out so i could see like blood going around and all that and then he, he chucked the thing right in my chest and then they brought the defibrillators and started giving me shocks so they gave it the first time didn't work and then they gave it the second time right and it was so funny all this time they were doing all that i didn't feel anything like i only had the vision and after they gave me the second shocks my vision just went off and i felt myself like going up and falling onto the stretcher like really hit hard because i don't have flesh right only bones so <laughs> you feel it when you hit on the stretcher like and then so according to my doctors what has happened was i have literally died and then it's like what i remember is when my spirit just went out for a few minutes whatever that i saw because your brain is alive for 3 minutes when your heart stops mm-hmm. so whatever that happens during that time you remember that is one of the most remarkable stories i've ever it heard it was crazy like I and, so. and yeah. then the funniest thing was so after that i remember then i woke up and then i remember seeing it like like i was lying down and they brought and put the oxygen mask onto me and then all that and then again i passed out and i when i woke up i was in the cardiac icu and then i went to see the doctor and i was like so what's going on and I was like, "Why did you give me shocks?" And he was like looking at me like he was in a shock. <laughs> I like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "You defibrillated me, right? Because I saw it." He was like, "What do you mean you saw it? You passed out." I'm like, "No, you f- tried to give it. You gave the adrenaline. The first one flew out and then you tried the second one and then you gave the you d- revived me twice and then I remember." I like, "Did you passed out?" I'm like, "Okay, maybe what I remember." and then the nurse was like yeah that's exactly what happened <laughs> so i was like so how bad it is then he said it's pretty bad uh so from his face i knew like this is something like really really bad so i was like okay so how many years do i have <laughs> and he was like two years hmm. i was like are you sure he's like yeah it's two years and like isn't there anything he's like no there's no medicine there's no treatment i was like I have a long list of my bucket list. There's so much to finish. Mm-hmm. And so if you can just tell me roughly how long I have. Is it 2 years? Then my mom was like, what if we take her to Singapore or US? And then he was like, no, he he got actually offended because we were questioning him. Because it's like I was challenging his knowledge sort of a thing when mm-hmm. he said there's no treatment, me asking other stuff, what if I go to another country? and then he was like no not here not anywhere in the world there's no treatments you have 2 years to just try to have the maximum of it hmm. and i'm a little bit of a rebel kind so for me those are like challenges challenge accepted <laughs> yeah so i was like i would be back in 2 years and i will be back and say hi to you and i walked out hmm. so then i called my 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 brother-in-law's friend he's a 
cardiologist like in Canada. So then they contacted him and then he said, just straight away, come to US, you have the visa. Just come here and then get a second opinion and make sure you come with oxygen because now they did the invasive test. Your heart is like a bit disturbed. Mm -hmm. So I asked the doctor, can I have an oxygen prescription? And he said, you f used to fly every three months, so why do you need oxygen now? And I said, because from US they told me to come in oxygen. He says, so get the prescription from them. Yeah. This guy sounds like the what worst. A horrible person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so then I was like, I will definitely be back and I will say hi to you. <laughs> and then, so I had to go to this other doctor and then he gave me a prescription for the oxygen. So it's funny, everything happened in two weeks. Right. You like getting like very intense periods of time. Like, yeah. Shoved into I know. It's like everything in my life happens in two weeks. It's so funny. I keep telling like for two weeks, my stars just keeps aligning and just, just they go away. Yeah. <laughs> and then so I flew. It's funny. I flew in 2015, October 11th, exactly on my birthday to US for the second opinion. And then I went to George, sorry, John Hopkins. And then they were testing me, and then they wanted to do echo. And then the person who was doing the echo had no idea my pressure was too high. She put bubbles to measure the size of the hole, and the bubbles went to my brain, and I ended up with a stroke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I was in the ICU for two weeks at John Hopkins. Uh, yeah, my, my left just completely went zero. And... Yeah, it was... No, it's not bad. It's interesting. It's like you were living a Grey's Anatomy, like, <laughs> episode. It sounds like it. It sounds like a very intense, <laughs> melodramatic, like, hospital yeah. show. It's yeah. like, I was like, literally, so the doctors are like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I feel like I'm in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I'm convinced that you're, you're just invincible. Like, none of this <laughs> stuff slowed you down. So then they tried to close the hole, but then they said, it's not possible because my pressure is too high. So I literally cannot be opened for any reason because my pressure is too high. Mm. So then they said the definite thing is a double transplant. So I need to get both lungs and the heart transplanted at the same time. And yeah, so then they said it should be done in as soon as possible because I literally couldn't walk more than 600 feet for six minutes. Hmm. My oxygen levels just keep dropping. I literally couldn't brush my teeth. When hmm. I, so I changed to electric toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything was fine. <laughs> then, so yeah, everything in my life, like I had to change everything the way I did. And then I, I was first on continuous oxygen. Uh, I had to like sleep with oxygen, walk with oxygen. So I had a 50... 15-meter <laughs> oxygen cannula because I couldn't be walking around with it. Hmm. So I just walked around. Oxygen was in one place, and with that long one, I was walking around, and then it was, like, getting tangled all over the house. <laughs> Did you have just, like, one central oxygen? Yeah. That, like, so I had, you were tethered to at all times? No, so it's just one wire, one cannula, which is 50 meters long, so I used to walk around the whole house with that. Well, like, like yeah, yeah, like, wrapping everything, like, getting tangled on all this, and people mm -hmm. are, like, going and untangling the... Tripping over <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, tripping over it. My nephew is, like, always, like, going under it and jumping over it. It was, like, a skipping rope for him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the first 
year, like first six months, I was literally continuously on oxygen. And then I didn't have even insurance here. Hmm. And so everything was out of pocket, which is crazy. And then I managed to get the insurance through Obamacare. Hmm. And yeah, that's the other one. So I got the insurance. And then I was so happy because otherwise my medicine would have been $8,000 a month. Ooh. If I didn't have insurance. Wow. I'd, and I had to go on that medicine. Because they said with the medicine, it'll control it from getting worse. But they can't say if, if it will get better. But it'll, it'll like increase my life quality. <laughs> right. But they said it's all up to me. Like It's completely based on how your body takes it. Hmm. So I was, I'm like, you know, happy go kind. For me, it was like, oh, whatever it is. And then, so I got the Obamacare. So I wrote to Obama, thanking. And then he wrote back to me. I was, like, shocked. I think I showed you the letter, right? I don't think so. Okay, yeah, so he wrote back to me. And my sister was like, you have a letter from the White House. I'm like, huh? And then he wrote a letter back to me saying, thank you for writing back and all that. I still have the letter with me. Um... Yeah, then after that, then Trump came. So I had to figure out, oh, shit, I need to do something. Otherwise, he will send me home in a boat now because I was on visitor's visa and then, like, getting everything sorted. So then the easiest way is I had to study so that I can get on a student visa and stay here. Mm -hmm. So I kept applying for all the schools. And I applied for George. George Mason, George Washington, and then John Hopkins. And Georgetown, I actually didn't apply because I didn't think, like, I can get admission here. <laughs> so then... Pathways. Yeah, so I know. So. And then one of my brother-in-law's friends at World Bank, she said, you're this person, like, you know, a jack-of-all-trades person who does all crazy stuff. And my friend had this went for this program which is called CCT. It's like for people like you who is not from just one area, like who is like from like who is interdisciplinary, you might like that. Why don't you go and check? So I searched and yeah, and it's, it's another two week story. <laughs> so Love it. and it was like so it was the last like the last week of admission deadline, right? But I didn't know what the program was. So I mailed IUE. I was like, can I meet you tomorrow? I just need to, like, understand what the program is about because I'm, like, applying for schools. So she just mailed me then and there saying, come tomorrow if you're free. I'm like, okay, I will come in. And then it was the first time I actually went out on my own with the oxygen. So my mother was, like, so stressed. Huh. I was like, oh, you can come with me. So I dragged her and walked to Georgetown. And... So I met, the first person I met was Dr. Turner. Really? Yeah. That's nice because she's just like a beaming ray of positivity. I know. And then she was like, it's so funny because she literally asked me why and all that. And she literally, she and my mom, they both are crying. <laughs> I was laughing. <laughs> and so I, she was like, do you have any questions? I'm like, yeah, I have one question. She was like, what? I, was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to write for my statement of purpose. <laughs> And then she's like, whatever you just told me, just write in a piece of paper, that's it. Seems like, right. Okay. <laughs> and then I sent the application. 
and then within one week I heard back that I got admission in and yeah my life is full of drama <laughs> so then because I can't fly out for me to change the visa status I need to fly out and come back to the country mm. so the only place I could go was Canada because I can't get on a flight again oh because the oxygen because yeah I can't go to high altitude anymore yeah. so I can't get on a plane again ever so did you road trip up to Canada so I took a train a train <laughs> right now, now this all happened in December okay so I mm. got the admission letter like December 19th mm. and then I had to get the visa and everything done by before January 6th oh wow I had you to love <laughs> these two week chunks <laughs> And then I had to so come into the country again before the sixth, and then so I applied for the visa interview to Canada, and it was closed for Christmas. And then my sister was like, "Why do you always do things the last minute?" I was like, "Well, what to do? Things happen last minute in my life." <laughs> and then, so I just I said, "I mean, he was going to book the ticket for the twenty sixth, right after Christmas to go." I have a feeling I might get the interview for the 27th. They will reply. She was like, it's closed. No one's going to check your email and reply. I'm like, no, they will. I have this weird feeling. I seriously have no idea. I have this weird sixth sense when things are happening in my life. I know it before. <laughs> You're a superhero, aren't you? And then, so, I booked. So, around 21st, I got my tickets for the 10th, 26th to go to Canada and come back on the 4th of January. No, 31st, so that I'm here by 1st. And then, <laughs> exactly on the Christmas day, someone mailed me saying, come tomorrow and we'll take your interview ASAP on 27th and you can get the visa and leave the country before the 1st. It's a Christmas miracle. I was like, tell you, my sister, see, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to Canada and then the biggest drama, they lost my passport. Who did? <laughs> The train? <laughs> the Canada. U.S. Embassy. Oh. U.S. Embassy lost my passport. Oh, man. So I was stuck in Canada without a passport, without visa. And so I had to go to the Sri Lankan embassy, get an emergency passport, like a handwritten passport. And then the U.S. Embassy said it has to be at least six months, otherwise they don't stamp visa on a passport. So I spoke to the ambassador and he said, okay, I'll give you a handwritten emergency passport for six months, but once you get the visa, make sure just as you get to U.S., you get the proper passport. So with that, again, I wrote to them. Again, went back to Ottawa <laughs> and then got the visa stamped. And so it took so many days, right? So 26th I went and then I had to enter the country by 6th. I crossed the border exactly on fifth night and the border security was like this is an emergency passport I'm like yeah it's valid for six months and if you want the consulate said for you to call them because I didn't lose it they lost my passport <laughs> pretty fair not your fault it's not my fault and then after that so for like half an hour they called them and they were like let her in because she needs to go and get her medicine <laughs> because I I didn't have medicine. My medicine was finishing. So my friend from Canada, he flew to D.C. on 28th. He flew in the morning, came to D.C., picked up my medicine and flew back to Canada because I didn't have medicine. Mm. My medicine was over because they give me the medicine month to month. Mm. 
and then yeah so i missed the orientation i missed everything i came straight away for the second class <laughs> wow yeah my life is full of drama truly <laughs> everyone keeps teasing me you need to write a book i'm like i hate writing if someone else wants to write i can tell the yeah, story dictate the story <laughs> yeah. to someone and let them write you a book I'm like let someone else right i can tell them the story but i'm not good right i hate writing mm. that is a riveting tale <laughs> yeah so now i started with 5670 feet now i walk 1980 feet hmm. so i have another so normal athlete walks 2200 feet within six, with 6 minutes mm-hmm. so i walk now so 980 now which is almost a mile so yeah i need to get get to 2200 then i'm that's the goal that's my goal i keep like raising my bar every time so it's like a mm-hmm. challenge for me i'm like i love challenges <laughs> very cool so yeah because of that like our oxygen levels drop down that's why my face goes blue suddenly and i don't because unless you see my face i don't mm-hmm. see my face unless i'm standing in front of a mirror so how the hell am i to know my oxygen like levels are dropping down it's not just me everyone who has pulmonary hypertension it's like that everyone's so we don't know until it comes to the last minute like and so first the face goes blue then my fingertips starts going blue so why you only realize when i see my fingertips and mm. by that time it's too late because any minute my heart can stop mm. and i don't have enough time to call 911 and get help so i need to do everything it has happened so many times so mm. i just keep hitting my heart and getting reviving myself on my own and so a lot of people die in sleep because they don't realize it mm. so And that's where your your O2 wear comes yeah. into play, right? Can you explain like how that works a little bit? So it's a ear wearable device. It just keeps vi- monitoring your oxygen levels continuously and it warns just as they start dropping down from the normal range. Hmm. Because by the time you see our fingers blue, which is like the oxygen levels around 60%, 70%. Hmm. But a normal person needs to have oxygen above 95%. Wow. So we don't feel it until it gets to that level. So that's why if we get the alert just as it starts dropping we have time to call 911 and get the help before it gets to a worse stage. So that's why I developed it. I developed it for myself because I live alone and people were like aren't you scared to live alone? So I I was like okay I will make this thing which I can call 911. So it was first like just solving just a personal solving problem. a personal problem. Wow. But then after that I'm like my doctor was like you do that there's so many people i will get into your team and we can get this out i will help you so then i was like okay and then i didn't want to like do it on my own time because with school work it's a lot and plus i didn't want to do a thesis because i didn't want to write <laughs> Yeah, comes so, back to that. Yeah, so because making is one thing and then it takes so much time and again to write on everything it's so much work and it's not like you like you know doing a research and writing it's double the work mm-hmm. so then i went and asked sarah i have this awesome idea can i do it in as a two step independent studies and like so i get the six credits which is for the thesis but i do it as two independent studies mm. they said yeah go ahead so i spoke to dr baba and then i'm like i'm going to do this thing he's like okay what do you want me to do i'm like just check my progress and when i'm stuck tell me what i should do differently that's all so 
Yeah, he was like so awesome. He helped me all that. It was fun. That's awesome. So how long did it take? So I did it for two semesters. Two semesters? Okay, nice. Yeah. Cool. And how, like, what, how is it worn? What does the device do? So now currently at the moment what it does, it it just buzzes. I have a... like a speaker, it keeps buzzing. Anywhere just a, on your ear? Yeah. Okay. As long, just as it goes down, it buzzes on the speaker. But the final device, I want it to be like really tiny, a fancy design. Like, you know, we can wear like a fashion accessory. Yeah, very sleek. Yeah, sleek. Yeah. And so I want to have different housings where like, you know, people, for guys, it's something. And if you want a colored thing, something. If you want with rhinestones, like the way you want, you can change your housing of that. And so the final product, what I want is for it to, I want to connect it to the phone because most of the time doctors want to see what happened during that time. But pe- patients is the last person doctors or 911 or anyone listens to. Like no one believes. If I said my heart stopped and I revived myself, no one believes me. Like when 911 comes, 911 like, you look fine. I'm like, yeah, because I couldn't wait till you come. I would have been dead if I waited for you, so I had to do everything on my own. Mm. So they don't believe when you say the stuff. Only the person who went through it knows. But if it records everything, then they know exactly what happens. So I want, I'm developing an app for that, which it's connected to the device. It keeps recording everything. So when it's going down, it'll buzz on the thing. Along with that, it'll warn you on the phone that your oxygen levels are dropping. And along with that, because it's a very... For us, it's very tricky because we don't know how long we have, whether we will have enough time to call 911 or not. So because of that, I want it, I'm trying to make it to send a text message to a nominated number, one of your caregivers who you think is your emergency contact, saying this, your emergency contact, your sister or so-and-so's oxygen levels drop down at this time to this level. So then they can get you the help in time before things get bad. Hmm. In case I don't have enough time, then, then the other person can help run to help you. That's great. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that system a little bit? Like, what point does, like, the caregiver get a text? Just as, just as it starts buzzing, mm-hmm. saying your oxygen levels are dropping, at the same time, it will send a text to the caregiver. Okay. So they can call, call and check hmm. what's happening, yeah. whether it's back to normal or hmm. otherwise they can get the help and run back to help you. Everything happens at the same time because Mm -hmm. time is very important. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it it, it can even happen to you. Like most of the Mm -hmm. time why people get strokes is because your oxygen levels in the body drops down. So when something happens in your heart, you literally have two minutes to lose the oxygen levels in your brain. The oxygen supply to your brain stops in two minutes after your heart stops mm. or if something happens in your body. Mm-hmm. So unless you act within the two minutes, you can end up getting a stroke and end up getting paralyzed for good or might end up dying. Mm. So most of the time, it's not just for people with pulmonary hypertension, people who does football, who does sports, because you don't know the capacity of your heart. Like a lot of kids die playing football because they end up losing the oxygen supply. They just pass out on the ground. But if there's a device that alerts them, okay, you need to slow down. Your oxygen levels are dropping. So it's not just for pulmonary hypertension people. It can be worn by anyone. Mm -hmm. Like an alert system. 
like for elderly people or someone who has who has gone on transplants who has a kidney disease who has a liver disease for anyone who has asthma because all these people even for a normal person you never know like you might be doing some you will think you are like your act, the tolerance level for activities is quite high but when you cross your boundaries you don't know when your heart will like suddenly drop the oxygen levels in your body mm-hmm. especially like traveling if you yeah. go to somewhere like high Denver, altitudes high yeah altitude, so if dangerous. you're like going if you want to go to colorado and all like most of the time like you need to check like whether your lungs can take that altitude mm-hmm. like especially tibet or anything so whoever is trekking and doing all those things even for them yeah so that they can they have an idea about can i go beyond this level or should i just start walking down now mm-hmm. Well, that is a brilliant uh, idea, and obviously other people have thought so too. Uh, you recently won Bark Tank, which for listeners who aren't familiar, it is a Georgetown competition for entrepreneurs, similar to the popular show Shark Tank, where you make a pitch uh, and can earn money towards yeah. making your, your idea a reality, correct? Yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what you plan to do with the winnings? Yeah, so actually I had no idea... to even apply for that I didn't even know that competition was there so I work at the Maker Hub and then one day when I walked in Don was like someone one of our one of us has to win this I was like one of us has to win what he was like the Leon says prize I was like what is that (laughs) he said is this pitch competition like and it's like 100 grand given among students I was like oh okay And then he was like, so I need to send a nomination. I'm like, who are you going to nominate? He was like, you, obviously. I'm like, me? For what? <laughs> he was like, what the hell did I do to nominate me? I don't have a business. He was like, no, the device you made, that's a business. I'm like, oh, is it? He was like, yeah, I'm going to put that. And I don't think there's no other good business like that, an entrepreneur idea. And I was like, okay. He's like, so what's the name of your company? I'm like, it doesn't have a name. <laughs> And then like okay so then come up with a name. I'm like how can I come up with a name for f- in 5 minutes because he had to send the nomination that day before some time. Hmm. And he's like okay let's list all the words. <laughs> What wh- whatever that is related to your device. So he took a piece of paper he started writing all the words. He's like so make combinations of words and tell me which one you like. I'm like no I don't like any of those words. <laughs> and then so when I got diagnosed my friend drew a karikacha which i all have on my oxygen tank which is like me wearing the oxygen cylinder in a super super girl dress so they call that the oto girl uh. so i said my friends call me oto girl maybe we can call it oto wear i was just joking and then don was like there we have a name it's oto wear and he just put that <laughs> submitted the nomination wow and i was like Okay, thank you for nominating me, but I don't think I will get selected. So, anyway, like your wish was granted. I'm happy about that. And then in two days, I'm getting an email saying you are selected as a finalist. You no, you were nominated. Send in your applications. I was like, okay, done. Now they're asking me to send the application. What am I supposed to send? because they had so much of questions listed because they need to know what's the thing how it is changing some problem what's the problem and what is the traction how is it aligned with georgetown values 
So then I spoke to Don, I spoke to Dr. Turner, I spoke to Dave Tarsanian, who's a startup for EIR. Hmm. And then after writing to everyone, Dave was like, your story, just write your story, that's it. That's your whole application. I'm like, but there's like all these words here, which, what do they even mean? He's like, no, don't worry about the words, just write your story, that's it. So I sent in the application, and then I sent in that on Friday, and when Monday morning they sent me a mail saying, you are a finalist. <laughs> and yeah, it was crazy. I had never pitched in my entire life. Hmm. And apparently you're good at it. Yeah, you said your heart was <laughs> racing, right? Like when you uh, my heart there. rate was 150 <laughs> when I walked into the <laughs> stage. And I was I cranked up my oxygen to three liters <laughs> because I didn't want to go blue on top of the stage. <laughs> Probably a good idea. Yeah, and then it was funny. So then after that, I was like, I was telling Ayui, this is crazy. I don't think I can do a pitch. I, I, I hate audience. I will freeze when I go on top of the stage. And then smart Ayui went and got me to apply to GIPC pitch competition as a training. Mm. Like the School of Foreign Services had another pitch. She said, let's apply to this. It will be your training. When you do the semifinals, even if you don't get into finals, at the semifinals, again, you'll be pitching. So that's a training. Yeah, you can practice it. Yeah, so how it, how it goes. So I applied for that. And it was funny. I ended up winning that. <laughs> Both the prizes. Casually. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And then I was like, see, you won it. No, bark tank is nothing. I was like, it's a, this was a small crowd. That's like uh, over 1,000 people. It's crazy. And then I went in. So on the day of the pitch, I said, I need a lovelier mic because I had to, I wanted to show the prototype and I can't have the clicker and the prototype and another mic in my hand. So I said, I need a lovelier. So I, when I went in, I saw how the judges are seated and how the audience are in. I was like, okay, I know my trick. I'm not going to turn to the audience. I'm just going to talk to the panel so that my... I'm looking at the side of the stage, not at the audience. Oh, so they were kind of set up like yeah on the side of the stage, yeah, and the audience, yeah, audience the on side. the other side. Oh, okay. So I was like, okay, now I know what I have to do. Just don't break eye yeah. contact. Yeah, <laughs> but then I had all that in my head. Now I practiced the pitch. So then, so at the GIPC competition, I met Rick and Brennan. I met Rick because he was one of the panelists, one of the judges from the GIPC who's uh, from Equal Reality. And then after I won, I connected with him because he's doing VR and I'm a VR person. And then after that, he was like, your pitch was awesome, but there was there are certain things you need to fix because some of the judges didn't understand what pulmonary hypertension was. Hmm. So you need to clarify all this and you need to make sure they don't have any questions left to ask at the end. He So this happened on Sunday 21st and my finals was on the 28th hmm. for the Leonces and during the Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Thursday he met with me he changed my entire deck of slides and he wrote the pitch and he just the whole day he trained me how I should pitch for the bark tank wow like all the questions he said these are the questions judges will ask you and this is how what your slides should contain so they will run out of questions and that's exactly what happened at the bark tank wow they didn't have questions to ask me because everything was in the slides 
and but it's funny because he taught me this awesome pitch and but when i went to the stage i literally forgot my entire pitch <laughs> oh no <laughs> i forgot everything and then i was like so i was supposed to start my pitch with the first slide but i started my introducing myself without my first slide only me and rick knows i didn't tell the proper pitch <laughs> because only both of us knew what my mm, pitch was yeah but it still worked it apparently. worked i was that's why at the end of the pitch if anyone saw the video i was literally laughing because i was laughing because i didn't say what i practiced because i knew i forgot everything and i messed it up huh. and then i finished the pitch I practiced it for three minutes, but I finished it in two minutes and forty-five seconds. So I was like, "Oh my God, did I forget anything? <laughs> How did I finish fifteen seconds early?" Hmm. Because I knew I forgot the pitch. I was like worried whether I forgot anything while I was pitching to add there, any important stuff. Sometimes it's just like nerves make you talk faster. Yeah, so, so I think it must be that I just spoke fast. Yeah, that also crossed my mind. Did I just go like a train? I hope people were able to understand, because anyways, with my accent, I speak fast and people can't understand what I'm talking. They just keep looking at my face. So I was like, I hope they understood what I was talking on stage. And then luckily, they ask all the questions, which I'm so familiar with, like because I literally answer those questions to people daily. So, and then. I had one minute left. They didn't have any questions to ask me, so just like Rick said, they ran out of questions. That's great, though. I mean, that yeah. means that you explained yourself well enough. So I was like, okay, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> But then until the prize came, like I, even when they announced, until they announced the first runner-up, I didn't think I would win. Hmm. So when. The second runner-up went. I didn't know there was a first runner-up because my brain was so like in a dazed mode, like with the. I was so scared and nervous. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm. I'm still processing it. It's not me. Like I'm not the entrepreneur sort of a person, so I'm still trying to digest the whole thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So you're still digesting, but what do you like? What's in the future now that you've. Yeah, so which is a horribly hard thing to ask while you're still digesting. It's, But what's next? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, so six months back, I was trying to apply for Deloitte hmm. because I'm an international student. I need to, and I can't fly back, so I need to find a job that will sponsor my H1B. And so I was so stressed, like whether I'll be able to find a job. And then I went to the Deloitte open house. So They love the fact that I do VR developing, so they gave me the email and said, "Email me the resume." From July, I've been doing my resume. I literally didn't have time to send the resume. Hmm. It's funny until now. I have still not sent them the resume, <laughs> and now you may not need to. I don't need to because yeah. it seems. It seems. I hope, fingers crossed, that I can get this to work. I can apply for O one visa, which is like special skills in science. You can get a work visa to work in US to do your own invention, hmm. and yeah. So it seems I'm eligible for that now. Wow, cool! And that's a long term visa that would yeah. allow you to stay 
indefinitely. Yeah, and then wow. it, it, it leads to a per green card, which is not the lottery, like a special green card. Mm. Very, very cool. Yeah, it's just so funny how in two weeks, a person's... My life keeps twisting and turning every... Like, in literally weird two weeks <laughs> all the time. <laughs> no kidding. No like, kidding. stars just keeps aligning for two weeks in my life suddenly, and then they just go disappear. <laughs> Well, you are a true inspiration, a true CCT queen. So I'm glad that you were able to join us and tell us about your journey and about this really cool device that you've made uh, and how it's setting you up for all kinds of future success. Yep. You should just try because they say if you aim for 10... See, they say aim for the moon and then your stones might at least end up on top of a tree. So... (laughs) (laughs) Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so just... It might never, like, it might not always end up in where you want, but you never know where you might end up in. Like, your life can twist and turn, your story might change, but all in a good way. Yeah, very cool. And And they always say things, sometimes things don't work for you because something good is supposed to happen in life. So rather than thinking of all the negative stuff that can happen, it's always good to have a positive outlook because then positive things happen in your life. Yeah. Well, one of the things that struck me about your story was how many times it seemed that negative things were happening to you and you had so many opportunities to to quit or give up and say, like, this isn't worth the struggle and the, the trouble that I have to go to. But you persevered and stuck through it and obviously kept it's, that positive it, outlook. It's all in the brain. That's what I believe. So, you know, in my, in my nerdy language... <laughs> What I believe is your brain is your CPU. Hmm. Like if you take your body as a computer, your brain is your CPU. So in a computer, what we do is we program the CPU to do what we want in the computer. So just like that, you can program your brain to do what you want with your life and your body. So if you can just have control of your brain, you can just get anything to happen in your life. I think I need to borrow your OS manual. (laughs) (laughs) Transfer some data maybe. No, that was a very uh, brilliant metaphor that was so CCT. I appreciate yeah, that. I know, very nerdy. <laughs> very nerdy. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shavini, for joining us. It's uh, been such a pleasure talking thank to you and hearing you your stories. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. Do you have any closing comments uh, for our listeners at home? Well, uh, yeah. Just there's, n- there's nothing called you can't do, like, you know. And it's all about you having a strict boundary in your life, thinking that this is my comfort zone. So break the comfort zone. Just try new stuff. You never know what you might end up liking. Very good. Love it. Thanks again for listening. This is Zach and Kevin, logging off.